Hi. Hi! I'm Chad Westbrook. And I'm Nicholas Wagoner. And are you a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race? You should be. You very much should be. Come listen and subscribe to our podcast, How Is She Though? Where we recap every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Come and get your daily dose of vitamin gay, honey. Oh, cr- oh, cr- hey everyone, welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein, and today we have the Matt Walsh episode. But before we get to that, I want to say a handful of quick thank yous. David Danpour, the latest and greatest Improv Obsession hero. David donated a few bucks to help keep the show going, and it is much appreciated. David, you're awesome. Um, Also, there's people who recently rated the show in iTunes. Uh, Marty Benson, Jurassic Allen, Mofo Bama, Bedsore, one Steve Connor, Alex Catalano, uh, the Duck Pigeon, and Adam Kangas, who uh, apparently assigns episodes to his improv students as homework in Australia. Uh, I find that pretty cool. Uh, you know what? Thanks, guys, all of you, for your support. And uh, I don't know. Hey, let's 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 keep all the great improv talk going right now with Matt Walsh. It's All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein. Today, special guest, Matt Walsh. Hello. 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 <laughs> uh, he, you know Matt Walsh as one of the founders of the UCB Theater and see him on ASCAD. And, you know, maybe you know him from The Doctor and The Hangover or The Daily Show for like a little bit. I don't mm-hmm. know. So you should know Matt Walsh. Everybody mm-hmm. knows Matt Walsh. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, I mean, we're going to talk about improv today. Sure. Uh, and I'm just... And I'm realizing the thing that scares me most about talking to somebody who knows a lot about improv is like where to begin. Because I'm like, you, you, you know some stuff. Um, so, so my question is, do you remember being? How, do you remember being terrible at improv? Like, do you remember like starting and like being bad at it? Yeah, I uh, can think of my first Herald, which was an improv Olympic and whatever, 400 years ago. <laughs> And I remember doing everything to be funny and talking too much and just unconsciously being stupid. And uh, it was very hectic. I felt very hectic when I was on stage as an early improviser because I wasn't allowing things to happen or I wasn't listening, quite frankly. So I was terrible. And I always, I think I've said it, it took me like, for me personally, it probably took me seven to ten years to be what I consider to be a good improviser. Wow. Uh, do you feel, do you feel like that's like a standard, how long it should take or uh, like, I don't know, like you've, you've seen plenty of students. I think truthfully, it's a matter of hours. Uh, I may have been a little slower than other people, but it involves a lot of things. It involves with playing with better people. It involves rehearsing and it involves, uh, comfort. At some point you'll just be comfortable with. Oh, I don't have to do everything. I just have to listen and use the things that we have. And, and that's like a confidence issue. So there's many factors that go into it. And, and I think letting go of being funny, yeah. you know, is a big hurdle for that was it was for me. Um, so I, I think people I'd hate to put a formula on it. I, I think five years is a good start to consider after five years. You could probably be considered a really good improviser. Sure. Uh, it's fun. It's, it's, it's weird how like being funny 
is definitely what draws people into improv. Like people probably come into improv going like, oh, I'm funny. I can do improv or I want to learn more about being funny. I'm already funny, but like I'll do improv and get better at it. But being funny in a weird way is a, a detriment to like good improv a lot. Yeah. I think needing to be funny, needing to be is, funny, that's yeah. is a very specific uh, hurdle you have to get over. I, I think if you get over your need to be funny, um, then you're actually exploring the things you're creating. Then you're actually having legit discoveries. Then you're actually collaborating with people on stage, and uh, and then you're actually kind of having the general, I think, faith that's necessary to be a good improviser, which is like, oh, I don't need to be responsible for all of this i just need to sort of you know I t- i've told students before you just play defense and it creates turnovers and that'll turn into points like if you can't be funny <laughs> or if you don't feel funny football fan then be a greet that's uh that's also for basketball but be a, be a solid straight man be a su- solid support player uh just react as you would react play to the top of your intelligence those things those tendencies those uh skills that skill set if you own that skill set inevitably that will convert into laughters, to, to laughs. Yeah, uh, that, that's interesting because uh, it it does feel it does feel like thankless and hard sometimes to go to be the person who is on the defense or not like the funny one in the mm-hmm. scenes or whatever. Uh, but but yeah, like I'm on a team right now that uh, indie team, and I think they're great. I think everybody's so great, and I constantly feel like I'm just the guy. Who's like? I'll just try to do the right thing. I'll be. I'll be setting people up. I'll be on the defense the whole time, and it will. It'll work. And it's. Uh, it's stressful, and I feel like in, in a weird way because I feel like I'm not funny. I'm not doing a lot, but I'm like, no, no, no. I, you have to go. Like, oh, there is a part of it that I'm bringing. It's just like maybe not the part that everybody recognizes right away. You know? Yeah, I think that is a role uh, that's important. Like. It- at the very least, you're not ruining it for everyone, so there's value in that. And I think also with time and confidence, you perhaps might own your comic premises or your comic ideas or your comic portrayals more, and you might, as a result, be freer down the road to be sillier, to be more risk-taking, yeah. to embrace failure, all those things that come with experience. Uh but in the meantime, doing all the right things is sound is sound improv and extremely valuable. And if you really commit to the whole group mind, like what are we creating? What is this really about? What are we tuning into as a as a, an ensemble? Uh, you definitely need that guy. If, if everyone else is just whipping out their funny character, you definitely need people that are seeing the bigger aspects of what's happening for sure. And and play and also playing that savvy. Uh, that role of the person who, uh, at the very least, doesn't ruin anything, will be appreciated by uh, audiences who are a little bit more in tune to improv too. Like if you if you you can get laughs sometimes, like doing like really solid straight manning uh, that it's like not as like hardcore joke straight manning, but you know setting stuff up, you can get laughs uh, from an audience who's like, oh, I get it, haha, I get where this is going, you're great, uh, and like that that's validating the way. But like you have to sort of separate that and go, like, okay, sometimes this audience isn't going to appreciate my. My little moves. Well, I think you're right. I think a lot of improv is for improvisers. A lot of sh- yeah. improv shows is for improvisers. But you can watch a an improv show as an early student and then see a guy who you think, oh, that's the funniest guy. He's the best. And then yeah. you'll come back to the show and see the same team. And then you realize, like, oh, no, that's not the best guy. Yeah. He's the most visible and he's the loudest. Yeah. And he may or she may end up doing the same thing every show on repeat visit. Then you start to realize, 
uh, from the background who emerges as, oh, that guy's the genius or she's the best. Yeah. The, the, the people like, yeah, some of my, one of my favorite improvisers, uh, Dominic Dierkis, like I watch him on like shitty jobs or whatever. You just see that guy very subtly guide stuff to like bigger picture moves or whatever. And you're like, yeah. holy shit. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bobby, Bobby Moynihan, I've only seen him improvise a few times, but I've even hearing him improvise on like podcasts and stuff. You hear how this guy is like, Oh, I'm going towards a thing that is bigger than this. Like the two, the, me and you, it's like, it's a whole that's like a whole show. You're like, oh, geez, this guy's got a, an idea of it. Well, yeah, in Bobby's case, and, and Dominic, too, they, they have, because Dominic's a stand-up, they can do both. They can, like, be funny when they yeah. need to be, and they can also be a playmaker, to use a sports analogy, yeah. or to, to see where it's going. Yeah, that's great if you can do both. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and all the, if, it seems like most of the good improvisers are, yeah, all the good improvisers are pretty strong in all aspects. Yeah. It's just maybe shining a little bit more in one or another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's let me see. So I want to talk. Keep talking. Yes, I will. I will keep talking. Uh, so it it sounds like I've heard you say that you kind of came into improv with a little bit more of like a writer sensibility first. Like if if, if that it sounds like you had maybe a background in writing comedy more. Is that no, a possibility? No, no. I, I took improv in college when I was uh, at Northern. I took a class in Chicago, so I would drive in once a week to Chicago from DeKalb, which is like an hour and a half. And uh, I learned straight improv. It was like really my first. I had one acting class in college, mm -hmm. and I think I did a variety show in high school. So I had very little exposure to uh, creating theater of any kind. And so my first exposure was improv. And I remember the... I always refer to it as the hit, like the, as a crack addict would call it. <laughs> I did a scene, whatever level, my second or third level, where a guy named Kevin and I ended up doing like a three-minute improv scene that we were so in tune and we knew where it was going and it sustained and heightened and it was funny throughout in the game, although we probably didn't call it the game, the, the comic engine of the scene was very clear to both of us without having any idea before we went on stage what it was going to be. And that, to me, was like one of the most beautiful, interesting, fascinating uh, moments to, of my life up to that point. And that sort of became an obsession of mine is to recapture that. So I was not a writer. I was just a kid out of, I was a psych major. I was a kid out of college yeah. who liked comedy and people told me I was funny, started exploring it, met really funny people. And then I had this comic hit, this crack hit. And then I've been chasing that ever since. <laughs> uh, this uh, when this started, it was almost called improv addiction. Yeah, I figured that sounds a little bit too weird, so I went with obsession. Uh, very funny. Um, yeah, that that that's interesting because there is a moment in classes, and I think I remember it in my two hundred one uh, with Joe Wanger in the scene that I did, and I was like, "Whoa, this is really funny." And yeah, like we came together, and like it's re we're we're constantly getting laughs off of this thing, and it feel it's. It's like it's like that same. It's like that thing of like riffing with your friends, I guess. Like it, it feels sort of like that, but better because you have an audience. And I don't know, like why? I was just thinking about like that. Why is that so special? And like, cause, well, because yeah, I think been... you're. I think it's a challenge because you're basically stepping into an arena where people are watching you and challenging you to do it now. Yeah, like riffing with your friends in an informal setting in the backyard, inevitably there's no stakes or it's just informal but if you're on stage and an audience is paid to see that and you can deliver that that's really amazing yeah or a classroom where you're asked to do it in an exercise there's a challenge that's been put forth 
Like everything you've learned, everything we're trying to do, now go do that right now with someone you don't necessarily know and with no premise. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, the being on the spot thing. That I'm, uh, I'm going to just do a little mini psychology for myself. I remember as a kid, like I used to do uh, goofy impressions of everybody uh, and like my parents would love it and crack up. And then like a friend would come over and they tell me to do it. And I was like, oh, what, do I, what did I do? And I would, I'd try it and they'd be like, ah, yeah. But it, I always remember that like, oh, it's not as good. I could tell it's not as good and they know it's not as good. And I'm sure I heard it at one point like, hey, he does it better. <laughs> I was like, no, the pressure. But yeah, like being put on the spot and delivering, it feels great. Yeah. It feels great. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, I'll, just, I'll get my parents' approval one day um, <laughs> through this podcast. Through this podcast, no, uh, no, my, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to get in that. <laughs> uh, uh, I do. How about how about this? Uh, what I'm curious, uh, like what what is an up like getting into like a an upper level improviser? Because like I feel like I'm trying to at, at this point. I feel personally like I have a, a strong grasp of. A lot of improv, but I do feel like that there is like another level and I'm, I'm like, like, I'm curious, like, what are the advanced skills that you think that like, like if you were teaching an advanced class or like whatever, what are the things that like, oh, let's like try to foster this new thing? Because at a certain point people know how to yes and and at a certain point people should know how to play a game and whatever. But like, uh, I think as an observer of like people who are like tremendous improver improvisers as opposed to like just good improvisers i think i think speed is something you need you need to be really fast when you start playing with whoever be it a zach woods or a chad carter where these like genius minds can just extemporaneously build a logical construct and throw it in your face um so i think you need speed and that involves obviously listening and comprehension uh and also being able to uh put it back to them you know verbally in an understandable way so I think speed is important uh, I think it's ultimately it's just there's a couple things confidence is something that will free you up like just knowing that you're good at it and knowing that you've succeeded at this in previous trials over many years you start to free yourself up and not care where it's going and, and hopefully uh, and then commitment, like certain people are much more committed. Like there are times when I do shows where I, where I verbally speak to the comic thought, but I'm not really immersing myself in commitment to the comic thought. Mm -hmm. Like Ian's really, Roberts is good at that. And there's many millions of people who are great at commitment. Um, so I think full on commitment is another thing that separates you from the pack. Like just hardcore commitment. Horatio is a really one of the kings of commitment. Um, and then there's also the intangibles. Like I always tell classes when I do teach is like you can have a joke that's well written, give it to a hundred people, have them go up in front of various audiences, cross sample, age, median age, whatever, mix up the audience, and inevitably the people who are going to get the most laughs with that controlled joke are probably going to be the fat guy. <laughs> there are types that people like to laugh at. You know yeah. what I mean? So there are, or maybe if you're too attractive or too sexy, you probably won't get as many laughs. Mm -hmm. So there are the intangibles of who you are, what you look like. There are types that I think people unconsciously allow themselves to laugh at more. So there's, there's those intangibles to comedy. Sure. Uh, just your physical presence. Uh, playing like a 
upper class person and then falling down and looking a fool is always going to work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The pratfall, if you will, uh, comes from that. So there, there's those elements, too, that separate you. If you have an interesting, obviously, if you have a unique ethnicity or unique gender, like, say, not a unique gender, there's only two, but, um, you know, I think that helps you yeah, uh, as well, separating yourself from the pack. It's interesting. Because uh, confidence feels like that's only something that can come from doing it. Yes. And, and probably... Do, and doing it successfully. It's succeed, not just doing yeah. it and being mired in mediocrity, but having slight breakthroughs or realizations or tremendous appreciation from audiences. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did uh, I did a show a few weeks ago, and I just remember feeling like I was I was hitting all the home runs in the show. If we're going to do sports, you know? Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, I'm getting all the huge laughs, and that feels great. Uh, and that's what, and I remember the next show after that, I was like, cool. I, like, I, have, I felt confident in it. And then, you know, a few more, and that, like, fades away. But it's like, I think you, like, kind of consistently going, oh, I can do this. I can consistently deliver. I feel strong. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. yeah. If you're too uh, self-conscious on stage that will limit you obviously yeah and that that's another part of confidence is that it's not just uh it's not just knowing you're good at it but it's like every time you're on stage relentlessly pursuing things through commitment and through you know playing it real uh and having faith that you'll find it those are the those are the people that just and you know ultimately super playful people yeah that's another part that hinders people some people who Again, going back to teaching, inevitably in every class, there's probably one person, because of their personality type, they will never be good at improv unless you lobotomize those personality (laughs) traits that hinder them. Like some people, people who are very controlling um, will struggle in improv because you just have to let go and you have to jump in on other people's ideas and you have to share ideas and you have to put away your thoughts and pursue someone else's. If you're really controlling and you need to be in charge, you're not going to be a good improviser. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Uh, and then, and then also with that, you, so you also mentioned commitment. That seems like a or real quick on confidence. The thing too, I feel like with confidence comes uh, playing new and surprising things. Like I feel a confident player will do that significantly more than not confident player. I, just, I saw a dude play a tooth once, and I was just like. That guy's great. He, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think to play a tooth. That feels risky, a little bit scary. Like I don't know how to. I'm not a tooth. I don't know what a tooth thinks. I can play people. I can play a pretty close version of myself because I know how I think. But like playing a character and then playing it like an inanimate object, like those, that takes confidence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bringing variety to it. Uh, but com- then commitment. You talk about like. Uh, I feel like that's hard too because sometimes. Or that's something like that's one of my biggest struggles. I feel like an improv is a uh, commitment because I, I feel like I'm one of the, maybe I'm one of the guys who uh, comes at it with a more writerly approach. Who's like, oh, this is what the comedic idea is here. Let me hit out. Let me keep on banging out ideas. But it's it's embodying those ideas, right? Yes. Uh, can can we explain that a little bit more for some people who don't know it? I mean. Well, think of a nice one. one of the critiques I think I've heard of like UCB style improv or game improv is that too often and not always, but too often scenes decay into two talking heads who are having sort of an intellectual debate about a concept or a comic idea. Yeah. <laughs> and they're verbally engaged in what's happening, but sometimes it can decay or descend into like cleverness, which is not interesting to watch because that's not... 
scenic. That's not going to transport an audience. That's just almost like a NPR Saturday morning game show, if you will. It's just people with witty repartee, which is funny. Yeah. But if you're in theater and people want to be transported, then you really have to like elements of like not a high percentage, but like spatial work, like walking around the space, using objects. Uh, playing status, you know, treating someone differently if they're your boss or if they're a girl that you like. Those elements get registered through your performance. So you do have to uh, alter the way you deliver things as well. So, and then if it, stakes are high, you know, classic example, somebody draws a gun, it's not relaxed at all. It's like trying to really like panic as if your life is threatened and how hard you commit to that moment. And not caring how foolish you look, obviously, is what, or being afraid of how you look, is what people are battling. But that's what commitment is. It's just full on throwing yourself into, and it is hard because it involves understanding the moment. And then it also involves like freeing yourself to fully commit to what that moment is. Like sometimes in scenes they go in a dark place where you're perhaps asked let's say to play you know let's say a chauvinist sure and we all bristle at that because we're not you know generally i think improvisers are pretty enlightened people and we don't approve of that you know point of view but in the scene it serves the scene so i think sometimes we bristle at like oh god i'm playing this guy who's ignorant or rude to women and i don't really like that and it comes out in their performance so it's like they're not committing to that and so their idea of what the audience is perceiving gets in the way of their portrayal of that character. Yeah. And not that everything boils down to being afraid of portraying ignorant points of view on stage, but that's an example of where your thought about how it's being perceived gets in the way of your portrayal. Yeah. I feel, uh, you know, real, real quickly to speak on uh, playing ignorant people, we'll say, um, uh, I feel like I, I, I used to be on a team uh, that I got painted a lot as uh, racist, whatever. And it was hard because I remember going like, I don't like it and I don't want to do it. But I remember like a thing, like a thing that I think comes with that is like, if we're not making fun of it, like hard enough, or we're not proving that these people are awful, uh, then it really sucks to just sort of be that guy. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's terrible. Like if, like if you get to, if you do a scene where you're a horrible racist and the game of the scene is something to do with like this car wash is wacky, mm-hmm. like you're just a horrible racist in the scene. And that feels weird. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing like a horrible racist who's getting, you know, taken apart from your straight man or your other characters, or hopefully even internally, uh, then that, that feels okay because it's like, cool. At least we're highlighting why this is dumb and awful. You know, yeah, and and you do have to be responsible for the for the ideas you put out there. I remember um, we taught classes in New York. I think this is relevant. We taught classes in New York right when we landed to sort of fund our props and little movies we made and trips out to Los Angeles. And so we started teaching, and these are people who, and we were just beginning our curriculum, and these are people who had only seen ASCAT, and these students who started. And there's nothing else in New York to see. And then they started to do grad shows. And I remember one uh, kid came on stage during a grand show, grad show, and early into the scene said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, uh, uh, of course it's rape. We're here at Rape Mountain. And so he had seen, obviously, 
Ascap go to a dark place. Yeah. With uh, rape. Yeah. And he just thought, oh, that's all I got to do is reference something horrible. Yeah. But you have to be responsible for it. And that isn't funny. Like, it isn't funny at all. Yeah. So there is an obligation to sort of not just be a racist guy, but what's funny about that scene that has a racist guy. Right. Or an ignorant guy or an abusive father or, you know, there's a lot of dark places that improv goes or... You know, oh yeah, we, we've yeah, we've yeah we can limit, yeah, we can list those forever. But so, <laughs> it is complicated. It, it isn't just like a simpler example is like if you were somehow pimped into a scene where it's like, well, this guy's the best fucking singer on the Voice. Go ahead. That's a moment where you're like, oh shit, I can't sing. People know I can't sing. Yeah. Uh, how do I get over this hurdle? How do I free myself and just believe that I'm the best singer in the world? That's commitment right there in that moment is like whatever people perceive me as I'm going to believe that I'm the best singer and I'm going to sing like I'm the best singer. Yeah. It's another example of commitment where you just got to forget how people are perceiving it and just commit to what's called for. Yeah. Uh, and that, and, and also, you know, alternative, the, the opposite of that being pimping happening. I, I saw a show where somebody was like, uh, all right, yeah, go ahead and lay down your, your rap bars or whatever. And, yeah. And and if the the guy the guy stalled and stalled and stalled and it was painful because he wouldn't yeah. do it, it was, and it, it, as an audience you're like well well then what are you doing like it, it it's so it's so disappointing to see people who yeah if you get pimped into something uh, to see them not do it, uh, it like it, I would have been so much happier to see him fail or start you know start it and be terrible yeah. at rapping than to just like have like never do it yeah it's about not. Not being afraid to look foolish or stupid, you yeah. know, in those moments. It's just like, all right, let's go. We'll get past this. Because that's the thing, too, is like no matter no matter what, a good majority of the things that we do on an improv stage, I guess besides being two people standing and talking at each other uh, and sharing clever ideas, uh, is is foolish. Like there is a part of, like there is a, I guess a, a societal norm that you could go like, that is foolish to stand there and to pretend to be a pirate and hold, a, you know, you don't have a sword, but you're acting like you do. And then if somebody swings a sword at you, you get cut in half and like you pretend, but you're not cut in half. Like there is something very silly about yes. that. Uh, and it's, I think at all levels of doing improv in a way, like, or, or, you know, it's like being okay with being that silly person. Like, yeah. And that, and that, and that takes time, I guess, but it's like, in what way are you going to let yourself be vulnerable and silly? And hopefully, in all ways, but you yes. got to get there. Yes. Yeah. You have to, like, commit to what's called for. And the other side of it is the other sort of shortcoming that people might have coming into it. And I think to some extent I probably experienced that is there's a lot of brilliant people that find their way on improv stage. So you really do have to dial into uh, great literature, news, pop culture, uh, you have to make yourself smarter yeah. in, in everything, like things you might not care yeah. about or not, might not know about. So there's that element to it, too, is like, boy, I don't want to get stuck with some reference or, you know, like I called myself grandpa earlier. If people reference yeah. Reddit or yeah. Foursquare or something like that, and I don't know what it is. There is value into sort of like uh, being dialed into what the culture is about. For sure. Uh doing imp I remember at a certain I think it was yeah it was in 40 like when I was in 401 I was like I, I 
decided that I cared enough to be smarter to bring it to improv because I was like, I got to I gotta learn more stuff. And <laughs> like, I just need to. It's like, a very unpure way to look at knowledge. It's like, yeah. oh, I can learn about something so I can make fun of it yeah. on stage. But it but is like, I think that's a lot of comedians is like their driving forces. Like, I can, if I learn about this or if I see this movie or if I read this book, I can use it to make a joke on stage. And yeah. I guess whatever works at the end of the day, if you're smarter and a better citizen or in some or a more educated person it's all good yeah uh i think that one who i don't know there, there's this this the idea of doing things for the good too I, I think it's a play-doh thing uh but like you do it for the good of doing it and like a lot of ways you find your way into doing it for the good is doing it for the bad and like well you know and that's not to say learning trying to choosing to be smarter or like wanting to be smarter to do better improv uh, isn't that maybe the most pure reason to be smarter? Right. But I think eventually you're just like I kind of like learning stuff and I kind of like knowing things. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I think ultimately people who do comedy have a a little bit of detached way they experience things. They're always sort of instead of experiencing a moment purely for what it is, they're sort of like in a commentary mode, like looking around and like, oh, that's funny or that that's funny or that's odd. So inevitably, if you're someone who's in comedy you do have a tendency to observe or detach yourself from moments in life. Yeah. And that's a battle. It's a but, battle. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. There, <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm hanging out with people. Sometimes you're like, Oh, I should just, I want to maybe just turn this off or like with other improvisers and like, can we turn it off? Can we have a conversation yeah. about, I don't know, like life and like how, how's, how's your relationship? I, <laughs> I think that's just youth. I think it's so fun to just do bits with people when you're just starting improv. Cause it is like this drug or that it is this awesome thing. And it is it's just play. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that, that is appropriate. I think inevitably if, as you get a little older, you can find ways to have like real interactions with fellow improvisers. Yeah. Well, I feel like an old man all, right, all the time, so it's uh, it's great. And then you all, and then you also mentioned speed too. So like that, I mean, like speed. I don't know how one develops that other than what repetition done and knowing stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I think it, it is. I'm sure. You know, if the brain is a muscle, like they say, just repetition and practice, and hopefully some synaptic connections get stronger or, or open up. I don't know exactly what the physiology of it is, but I. I would assume that it's just practice. It's just doing it. And, uh, you know, I guess there are small things like don't go on stage too hungover or don't go on stage yeah. too drunk or, yeah. you know, being well rested or, you know, there's like certain health aspects to like making sure you're performance ready when you're on stage, but don't eat too much before you get on there. Cause you'll be bloated and tired. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. I think it is just repetition. For a long time, I was uh, doing improv. I was like, I'm like, I can't eat for hours before a show because I'm like, I don't want to. I'm afraid it'll affect me in some way. Uh, and I remember, I remember realizing like, oh, maybe I'm getting better at improv because I don't think about that anymore. Like, yeah. I can just eat, and yeah. it doesn't doesn't like stress me out that if I have a fig Newton that it'll throw off my brain chemistry <laughs> four hours before a show. <laughs> These are very real concerns of mine at a certain point. It's sad. That's funny. Um, so let's see. What, what, can, what else can we talk about? I don't know. We got all kinds of things. Uh, so like you've, you've been doing improv for a good period of time of mm -hmm. your life. Do you, I mean, do you still find it fun all the time? Like, 
and then that's that's not to like put you on a spot or go like how could you possibly find it fun still but like is it is it still like the pure joy thing because you did just say like when you get older like uh bits and uh i do i i what i love about improv is that it is so low maintenance it is the simplest way to have fun and it and it's not even selfish but i you know I do a show once a week called Ask Cat, and Besser's usually there, or Conroy, or you know uh, Zach Woods has been playing with us, or Wanger. So these are people I know. I know are funny. There's always going to be some laughs. They're everybody's solid or awesome at what they do, and it's so easy. And it's just, and I also like the audience interaction at the beginning of the show because you talk to people and give them a hard time a little bit. So I love what I love about improv is how easy it is, and it is sort of replenishing for me because you laugh a lot and you you don't learn anything but you sort of engage with people you don't get to see all week and you get to engage with the audience and talk to them a little bit and I find that yeah really exciting and, and awesome so I do still love improv the challenge with doing it forever is that oh I've done this premise a million times as you step into a scene you're like oh I'm doing this thing again so you have to battle that a little bit it's like oh here's another job interview scene or here's another boardroom get in here guys scene or here's another marriage counseling scene and you yeah. try to like f- try to push yourself to find something new and on the other side of it is if you come by it honestly and it does work then a job interview scene is fine and you need to put the judgment away and just make an awesome scene out of it so it's a battle of like not judging yourself and also challenging yourself yeah it's interesting because like you mentioned that addiction thing too and a, a big part of what i think people enjoy personally i enjoy about improv a lot is like oh it's always novel like when i yep. do a sketch like i've done it i've already done it a bunch of times and i wrote it and then like by the time like by the time i get to performing it i feel like it can only get worse than it has been before yeah like like I'm like oh cool so in my head it's like we've rehearsed it and we or it's on the page there's an ideal that it should be at and then like somebody can miss a line and it gets like a 95 percent version of what you're doing whereas improv feels the opposite like you can always build to something bigger and better but yeah like once you've done a scene a few times like yeah that that hits you can that hits not the same i need more i need better i need more interesting things mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. tough yeah, because you judge yourself if you happen to do a good, I don't do one, but like a good Southern accent, and then you find yourself in every Herald show or every ASCAT doing your Southern guy, you might start hating yourself. Yeah. You really have to like not always go to your comfort zone. You can do your Southern guy, or you can do those things you do well, but you do have to like not rely on them, and you do have to like push yourself into, you know, new territory. And it's also good to see different kinds of shows and different improvisers because you know there's a lot of it is all the same fundamentals but there is different execution and there is different style and so you see something that inspires you and you end up sort of because I think ASCAT oddly is just a montage of uh, taking the monologue and deconstructing ideas and finding premises in that you know initial pool of information that's provided uh, from your monologist and then just exploring those ideas but what I find ASCAT has evolved into is there is a nebulous thin arc to the whole piece in the old days it was just fast and furious and funny and tag out and clean the slate and do another fast funny scene and clean the slate and then bring the monologist out and nowadays there's like elements that come back from the interview that me and Besser do at the top of the show and there's elements from the first act that come back in the fourth act and in a very thin way and so it's it's a very nebulous 
it's not a story, but there is there seems to be like a a more bleeding into um, connective element to Ascat, which I don't believe was there years ago. So yeah. that's kind of cool the way the show that the only show I do, which is Ascat, has evolved. Yeah, very slight, but it is still there, which I enjoy. Like the sort of looking. And it's not just bring, bringing character back, but there's elements or themes that come back, which is cool. Yeah, I think that I think that's some, sometimes maybe this is what you're speaking to a little bit. It's like, oh, you feel like you can't help but feel a form being developed. Like you're like, oh, cool, we're kind of doing, you know, even if it's not, uh, you know, say a strict herald or like whatever. You're like, oh, we're kind of doing some a, a, a show that has a structure, and we're deciding it. And we're also all kind of following it a little bit. Is like, is that what you mean? Like you guys have discovered a form in what you're doing a little, or. And I'm not saying like a rigid. Well, like Ascat is a unique show because there's something freeing about doing a free show. It's just completely for you in a way. It's like you want an audience there, and you do appreciate the audience, and we we do have great audiences at the theater. But it's also a free show, so you as a performer can pursue what you find artistically interesting or subject wise interesting, and so that's why Ascat. I think like the veterans like me or Matt Besser or Conroy we end up doing what we personally find interesting in the work these days. Yeah. And so it's not so much about fast edits. Like it might be about longer scenes and awkward moments like, uh, in a certain night. And that's what we find interesting. And it might, uh, be more challenging at some point for the audience, but ultimately it's always rewarding. Like the audience does love Ascat still, and there's plenty of laughs, but it's not, I guess I'm comparing it to the heyday or the early years of ASCAT where I remember it being like, whether it was solo arts or 22nd street or early 30 or yeah, early 28th street. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's, it sounds, well, it's just, I I like the idea that it feels like to me, like you're still thinking about the shows a little bit. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I analyze shows, and I'm kind of, you know, like, oh, what's going on? I don't and analyze then, them my, uh, myself. I don't analyze them after I'm off stage. Like, there'll be a little bit of like, oh, that was so funny, or, oh, what was, I'm sorry, what were you trying to get me to yeah. jump in on? Like, there are those brief moments after a show, but generally it's like really funny idea, and, and that's it. But when it's happening, there is elements that are introduced, whether the monologist talks about an element... And it's such an, again, this is very ASCAT specific, but it's such an informal show that if the monologist talked about meeting Muhammad Ali in the airport, you as a player, like I have no, wait, what, tell me that, like just interrupt him and say, uh, what's going on? Come in. Hi. Hello. Sorry. Not totally fine. Um, okay. I'm leaving. Vulture's coming. We'll see if I see him. Huh? I gotta go to Lowe's and stuff. So I'll call you. They're, they're just leaving. Okay. Um, that was my wife. Going to, going to Lowe's and stuff. Yeah, going to Lowe's and stuff. It's a good day. Busy day. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So uh, let's, here, here's, a, here's, here's a question. Um, can I please read the UCB book I've asked everybody? Um, Where, why? What, what, Why? Why can't you? Why? Where is everything? I want to know where it is. Uh, I want to know you're, why people won't just give it to me. You're eager to read this book, aren't I you? I am. I'm, 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 I like the UCB book has been seven years of drudgery, <laughs> sitting in a room with Besser and Ian, and 
pounding out and Joey Winger pounding out rules and then realizing there are exceptions to those rules and then having to go back and sort of use logic and math to quantify a very nebulous science and it's always a drag to talk serious about comedy inevitably it's like oh boy that guy's a bore so in answer to your question (laughs) the the UCB book Knock on Wood will be available at this year's Del Close Marathon cool in a tangible copy that you can purchase I love it that's good news yes uh, I want I want to talk a little bit uh, uh, about heightening because I feel like uh, that's something that I feel like uh, is a strong suit of yours and, and everybody. But I, I notice it when I see you perform. Um, what what how, like how do you heighten? I want to know. I want to know. Like that's that's such a that's such a broad question. Well, kind of funny. Writing the book, one thing we discovered is that if you find another place to play the same game comedic game that counts as heightening yeah you don't have to go to an elevated like the the examples like you don't have to go to the oval office or you don't have to go to strategic air command beneath the earth's crust to heighten something yeah you can simply take that same game and continue it in another location as if it's still going on and uh that that qualifies as heightening um, to me, heightening is finding what you find interesting or funny in that scene and then finding a way in a very in a realistic and grounded way to take that game or that person into a new place. And uh, I think simply by the fact that it's continuing is heightening, but also you can add elements or stakes to it. Uh, which is also heightening. So that's... Uh, we, we should probably have a specific example. Yeah. If I am the gardener who, I don't know, keeps stealing peanut butter. Terrible example. But I have, a, I have an addiction to peanut butter and I'm a gardener. And he's outside and he sees a woman baking cookies. And he's like, you mind if I have one? Sure. And then he ends up eating all the cookies and the woman's upset. You could... Uh, <laughs> terrible heightening but cut to tag him out and bring him to got your new job you're working for the uh, heir to the planner's peanut fortune Uh, so you're putting him in a very terrible place for somebody who's addicted to peanuts or peanut butter right uh, that so would like, be an example. So, like, that's not necessarily, and, you know, I guess that that is just a little bit more heightened or a tough, harder situation. But, but it's the thing of, I think, heightening, too, is uh, you can also think of it as expanding.